This is season number 19 of Bass Talk Live with Matt Pangrak. BTL is presented by Lorenz, Bass Cat Boats, Aftco, Strike King Lures, Sunline, Big Bite Baits, Spro, X-Zone Lures, Gamakatsu, The Bass Tank, Denali Rods, Pro Guide Batteries, Beatdown Outdoors, Shoreline Boat and RV Repair, and Omnia Fishing. Hit him with the hook, Jeffries. PTL, coming at ya! Good morning, and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL Bass Talk Live, where we are going to talk about bass fishing. It is a brand new week. It is January 16th. And I have to say, you know, over the years, I've been responsible for putting together a lot of the BTL shows, particularly over the last five years. And every once in a while, you just have one that develops organically. And then you get a bonus thrown in and it becomes even special. And you're like, well, there's no way unless I mess something up on my end that this isn't going to be a fantastic show. And we have that today. This show kind of came back up organically. Uh, I mentioned it last week. Ken Duke uh, and Terry Battisti uh, from Bass Fishing Archives uh, dropped the big bass podcast that Ken teased for, you know, it, it, I feel like it kind of came about. He's like, well, you know, maybe I could do a, a podcast on this, on the big bass. And then he's like, oh, I think I'm going to do it. And then he's like, I'm going to do it. And then he came on and he's like January 3rd. Now there's like four or five episodes out. I, I had a spirited discussion with him over the first episode. So we're going to talk to, uh, to Ken Duke about that. And then in the meantime, you know, I talk to Charlie Hartley on a regular basis because who doesn't need that type of positivity in their life on a, a daily? And he's in Florida. I think the streak is still intact. He's had some good weather down there, but he's been winning belts and trophies and big bass. And when Charlie Hartley says he has a couple stories that he'd like to share, well, by God, you let Charlie Hartley come in and share a couple stories. So Charlie Hartley, thank you for jumping on BTL this morning. How are you doing? Happy New Year, Matt. Love the new studio, and it's been a great uh, first. Can you believe it's the 16th of the year already? Happy New Year to all the fans. Uh, all the tournaments I've been fishing here local, people have come up to me at every tournament and said, when are you going to be on BTL again? And if I wouldn't keep hearing that, I wouldn't bug you. But obviously, uh, some people <laughs> listened, and it uh, touches my heart when they say that. To be associated with BTL is really cool, Matt. Thank you. Yes, uh, I don't. Oh, whoa, we're getting a little bit of feedback in the audio there, uh, but we're good. Uh, okay, so a couple of regulars that I think I'm going to have on this year. I didn't clear it with you or Ken. I, I'm assuming you guys are going to be okay with it. But we've got Matt Stefan who's going to come on every quarter because I love talking to Matt Stefan. I think he's got a great uh, different uh, view on things, not afraid to voice his opinion. Had that show, so he's going to be a regular guest. Obviously, Bradley Hallman in between. Uh, his journeys across the country as returning to the Elite Series in 2023. He's going to be a regular guest. We got Frank every Thursday. But the other two key components to this, because I don't have a full-time co-host now, obviously, Charlie Hartley and none other than Ken Duke. And we're going to we're gonna tag team this deal. Mr. Duke, thank you for joining us. Also from the Sunshine State. Yeah, absolutely. You know, thanks. Hey, Matt, thanks for having me. Charlie, always a pleasure to see you, my brother. This is going to be fun. It'll be a lot of fun. It's uh, an awful nice place to live, isn't it, Ken? I noticed during your podcast that you are a true Floridian. You bleed sand and it is one of the, it's probably the greatest nation or country in this state in this nation. I apologize, but it could be a country. 
Um, it is a very unique part of our country. It's the most tropical. It's the most southern point where bass can grow the largest. And those other states wouldn't have big bass without Florida bass, would they, Ken? Thank you, Charlie, for pointing that out. The Florida bass, my crop, Chris Moitis floridanus, is the most important of the bass species in Florida. Hey, come on, make America Florida. What'd when you call it again? Uh, it's well, it's I think the Florida bass is the most uh, important of all the bass subspecies. Oh, I thought you said some weird name for it. I did. Oh, I, I used I threw out the Latin there because I want to, I want to, yep. I think we should do the show in Latin, Matt, quite frankly. I know pig uh, Latin. Uh, <laughs> Micropterus salmoides, which is a largemouth bass. And then you throw Floridanus on the end. Floridanus. Florida, yes. Yeah. Largemouth bass. When I was a kid, Ken, there were only 10-pound bass in Florida and uh, made my first <laughs> trip down here at 16 years of age and slept in a pup tent at the Semi River Ranch because I read in the bass a back of Bassmaster magazine that you could catch a 13-pound bass out of Lake Kissimmee. And to a kid from Ohio, that was worth driving a 1,000 miles and sleeping in a pup tent from Christmas to New Year's. And uh Never dreamed years later I'd own a place on the Kissimmee chain. I dreamed of it, but never thought it would happen. And uh, every morning I go out there, uh, I never take it for granted. Any cast, you can catch a double-digit fish. You see alligators. You see manatees. You see bald eagles. You see turkey. You see deer. It is absolute paradise. My friends get sick of me sending them pictures and just putting at the bottom paradise and now with spacex i get to see space rockets take off from my driveway how could the state get better <laughs> I'm, I'm with you charlie i had the good fortune of being born here in florida in orlando in fact the area where i live now and and i've lived other places but they're gonna have to drag me out in a bag yep. at this point how close are you guys together because i know where, oh. like i said charlie's on the Kissimmee. you're closer to orlando ken well i'm i'm not far i'm i'm 40 minutes from uh, big toho marina Oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty close. Yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to go fishing. I've got a couple secret lakes that Ken would even approve of, and maybe he can get me into some of those private lakes also. I can always provide a boat and a fishing pole. Ken. <laughs> Charlie will do it. I, I, yeah. I have access to some good places. I think he'll approve. <laughs> That's probably one of the other coolest things down here, Matt, is uh, the tournament lakes are great, but they receive an incredible amount of pressure, and we have a bunch of really small lakes down dirt roads that uh, not many people go to and tournaments are never on them and the fish are very naive. And after uh, struggling through a tournament all week, it's really great to go to one of those ponds where the girls are not educated at all and you catch them like every cast. <laughs> Charlie, is your streak still intact? I know I think the last time I, we did an article yeah. or something, but it was over 800, I think, if my memory was right yeah uh, i'll tell you what right before chesapeake bay open i finally got COVID after dodging it for two and a half three years and it uh even though i'd been vaccinated it was as bad as i've ever felt and uh the streak had to take a medical exemption for about four days i did not leave my bedroom um and then i limped to chesapeake and started it over again so it kind of <laughs> broke my heart to kill the streak uh, but it also, believe I was well over 1,200 days in a row catching a fish. And, um, but it really became a, uh, a, a cumbersome responsibility. There were certain days where it was very difficult to squeeze that in. And I, it became almost a chore on some days. And I never want fishing to be a chore. But uh, 
until the COVID uh, deal, I really did keep it intact, even in the snowflakes through ice, however I needed to, even driving to other lakes, I would stop at a little roadside pond and catch a bluegill or something to keep the streak alive. But the funniest part about that streak is I can have a really bad day at work and 13, 14 hour day. And I walk down to that pond, I catch that first little fish and I go, that's the best thing that's happened all day. You know, that's really what fishing is to me. Everything else in life, except for my lovely wife, Tracy, is something in the way of me catching another fish. So I, you know, schedule everything early in the morning so I can get it over with so I can go fishing because I, I just haven't got uh, bored with catching fish. I really have never will get my fill of it. Never. Matt, I think we got a new nickname for Charlie now. We got to call him Iron Man, just like we called uh, Lou Gehrig. And yeah, he's definitely the Cal Ripken. I was, I, I had known, uh, I had known, I'd heard through the grapevine that you you had COVID, uh, and but but that we're obviously recovered. There you are, looking just as as, as dapper and fine as ever. But uh, my question was about that streak, but I didn't ask until now. So I, I mean, if you think about it. Folks, if you're listening to this, like I'm thinking of of my life, I like uh, it's that there's just you have to make a concerted effort. You're over three years, 365 <laughs> days a year, half of which is in Ohio, fishing the opens, fishing Toyota series, running, uh, running a very substantially sized business, taking care of other family responsibilities. You have holidays, you have weather days, you have all of that. And to go 1200 days, I, show me someone who has a longer streak than that right now? Check, like check, I, the, I, now, check the Guinness Book of World Records. There's a, a gentleman in there that literally, literally went thousands and thousands of days. And that's what, when I read that, I thought, this guy's my hero. This is something I want. I mean, I never even thought of that. I do have a giant uh, uh, map up in my office, full size, the whole wall that has every body of water in North America on it. And I put a push pin in every body of water I've ever been in, which was, again, an idea I saw from one of my peers. And I thought, man, someday I want a wall full of thumbtacks. And when I take kids in that office now, they look up there like I did when I was a kid. Like, how could you possibly have gone to all those places? And the funny part is with all our tournaments, I've been to most of them hundreds of days. We've spent, I've spent hundreds of days on most of the best bass venues in North America. I'm blessed, very blessed. It's and funny. I wanted to talk about the upcoming open schedule, Matt. I want to call you out a little bit too this year. What? Yeah. You have I want to, to call talk. me out. But no, it's funny you mentioned that with the, with the, uh, map so when i got into this house last year this is actually the room that the studio's in was uh whoever lived in it before was their office well when they when they emptied out everything like i went in the garage and there were like 19 coolers and i think they they did uh they did like chicken on a stick at the state fair you know like that type of stuff so they they traveled a lot well on the back of the door was that was a map like that and there were pins all over the mid and i was what is that? Maybe that's a rich. No, it's everywhere. They sold chicken on a stick over the last five years. <laughs> Which is similar to tournament fishing. Very similar. Yeah. What do you want to call carnival me out on? Life, carnival life is similar to tournament. Basketball. Probably more lucrative. Uh, what did you want? What do you want to talk about the EQs on? Did you get the email where we've got our own logo now and all that, Charlie? We're getting email awesome. updates every yep. Thursday from uh, from Hank. Ken's going to just bite his tug here for a minute while we discuss the lucrative Bassmaster Opens. 
he can he's got input i i heard him arguing earlier in the year with you about how many out of the 175 will complete the season and can i understand your skepticism but last year a real large proportion of them completed which surprised me normally by the last opens you're correct uh, a bunch of people drop out i would get i i'll take matt's over uh, against your under on how many fish all nine. Um, but we'll see. It's it's uh, going to be the most exciting year ever in the Opens. This EQ thing took off like a rocket. Bassmasters has done a great job promoting this. Uh, FLW kind of stepped on some toes, canceling the tour. So we inherited a lot of those guys. Um, I'm waiting for you to have a show with uh, – uh, ish on it and a couple of the guys that have uh, walked away and are going to come back to try to requalify. I'd love their input, but uh, the writing's on the wall. Uh, you know, it's great that there's two circuits, but why are some of the biggest names trying to return back to Bassmasters? It's absolutely, uh, in, I mean, it's fun to watch. We live in very interesting times. Um, <laughs> back in the day, uh, I don't remember a lot of us, including myself, fished FLW tour and the Bassmasters tour at the same time. It was not that impossible. Before the elites, the entry fees were manageable. It didn't conflict. A lot of them actually worked where it worked out where you went from one tournament to the next. Um, but uh, it, the, the line has been drawn in the sand, as we can see. And now, of course, we're going to have a five fish limit in Major League Fishing. Imagine that. Um, but that's not what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about our upcoming schedule because the first tournament of the year is at the right time of the year. And if you guys are ever bored, get on uh, Google Bassmasters TV shows, 2003 Lake Eufaula. Edwin Evers won his first national event by beating Charlie Hartley in second place on March 1st, 2003. And the top six was made up of a, a headliner top six. We had Edwin Evers, Mark Menendez, Mike Reynolds, Tommy Biffle, Peter T, and Charlie Hartley. And it was an incredible tournament. I hope we have similar conditions. The year before that, I had fished an open down there with a buddy, and we had had similar conditions. And when Tracy and I pulled in there for the first three official practice days, I looked at that lake and I said, honey, we're going to be in good shape. And uh, it was the only time I ever came off practice early, and it confused her. She goes, what are you doing here? I said, well, you said you wanted to go bowling. I'm never showing you any time, you know, and she goes, you get back out there. I go, we're okay. She goes, you show me. And she made me take her out there and catch one on the first cast. She said, you're okay. Let's go ball. <laughs> what year was this? 2003. And way do you see the video? Tommy Sanders looks young and Denny Brower is the <laughs> guest host. And Denny Brower looks young. Tommy Biffle even looks young in the video. You got to see it. I can't believe 2003 you know, it, it was a lot of years ago, but it's amazing uh, when you see how much we've aged in that. When you see someone every day, you don't see the aging. When you don't see, you know, someone for 10 years, it's like, whoa, we, we got old quick. How'd this go so fast? <laughs> uh, Charlie, I think you and Edwin have, have aged almost not at all. You guys still have that same enthusiasm and fire for the sport. It's outrageous. And that, and you mentioned that was Edwin's first uh, big win on the tour. And it, of course it was. And, and that sort of lit a fire under him. He was winning one a year, basically for a long time after that. And, and, you know, one of the all time great champions on the, on the BASS side before he, 
went over to MLF and he's done obviously super well over there as well. But yeah, you guys, uh, you got, I think you guys have uh, not aged hardly at all. Matt, right. incredible how quickly you can pull that up these days and, and put that in front of us. Thank you. I gave you no warning about that at all. And no. you had a chance to. And that's amazing you can do that. The new studio has been going great. Yeah. All right. Let's be quiet just for a second here. We'll see if this will work. But I need to uh, I'm going to bring it back in because I want to see what you say on this, because I know you're you're probably pumped because that that is a fish that we just uh, that we just showed. And, and it came off in midair. And it looked like it was it was up in the I mean, it looked like it was a a, a sketchy fish. So uh, hold on. Let me uh, let me see if I can share the audio here. You're stroking my ego. Feel free. Yeah, Go ahead. But I think if we talk, it's going to provide echoing. So we'll just uh, we'll just uh, we'll see what we got. <laughs> and Charlie has caught a fish on the right side all around in that pocket and fishing up on those flats. Over to Charlie Hartley, self-professed neat freak, one of the all-time top yeah, ten, I think. Has a black boat, a black car, says he buys black because it gets dirtier quicker. He can clean them quicker. <laughs> and Charlie has caught a fish on the right side of the boat, which is kind of unusual because his his special spot is to his left. He's throwing in that one spot over and over again. That fish just touches. We're putting in line well. It's the first one to go home. What a great race we have going on here. Edwin Evers in the lead right now, but only barely. Charlie Hartley right behind him there. When we come back, we'll get last year's champ in the studio again. All right, there we go. That's good stuff, Charlie. Cool. That's really good stuff. Cool. The memories were unreal. That uh, that was the first time I learned to never think you won one because I, when I was heading in, I was telling myself I'd won the tournament. Nothing's worse than thinking you had it done and it, it didn't, uh, especially – they weighed us in an order because they knew back then who was going to win. And my contemporaries didn't even have limits. And I had a limit and a big one. And it's, I mean, it's looking good. We're down to four or five guys weighed in, can't even fill their limit. And I'm like, I've done it, man. I've really done it. Uh, another funny story about that. And I didn't mean to get way off track, but this is not Rick, off track. You had Rick Pierce on the other day about, uh, always checking the boats that they gave you for the final day. Well, they put me, they put us in their boats the final day. And sure enough, when I went to run in, that motor wouldn't start. And the camera boat was just about out of sight. And we started screaming and the camera boat turned around and we moved everything into the camera boat. And I went running in and I got about halfway in, just my head spinning from all that happening. And I'd run it down to the last minute. And I looked at my marshal and I said, Oh my God, did I grab my fish? I remembered grabbing everything but the fish. He goes, they're right in that well. I go, thank God, and we headed in. And uh, it, it was uh, it was a great tournament. Uh, uh, I think the first day I had 21.5, and I was in like 12th place. That's how good the fishing was up shallow. And uh, Edwin had 73 pounds. I think I had 70 pounds. It was a great tournament. You should be very excited, Matt. To be going to you follow that time of the year if it's up and muddy it can be a lot of fun it, it really can uh, well we get a little bit of feedback and then it and then it kind of uh we got to get a pair of headphones for you next time charlie i keep i'm them, sorry keep, I'm not it, that's not yet. it's not your fault you just there's literally like a little port you just plug it in and then it just goes in your ears but i think that'll take the little two seconds but then it, it settles down uh interesting question for ken duke um historian you know typically averages what it takes you have history over every uh every tournament 
winning weights, averages to top 10, you know all that stuff. There's been a lot of talk, and I don't even want to talk about it on the show, but there's been a, a, a lot of talk. Technology is is advancing. There's more and more at the angler's fingertips. Uh, I believe Jacob Wheeler just came out with an, an article on Major League Fishing where he said, hey, if there's anything that this technology it's taught us is that the seasonal patterns and the way the fish live and where they live and what we thought they did at certain times of the year is total BS and we're just scratching the surface and we have no idea what they do. That's a very truncated version of what it was but have you and is there enough data over the last couple years like our tournament results from the same time of the year in the early 2000s and the mid 2000s and the 90s even applicable now in 2023 or if it took 11 and a half or 12 pounds to be in the top 10 for 20 years is it now going to be leaps and bounds more because of the education of the angler and i understand fisheries change some but what are your thoughts on that are 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 the is the history still applicable to today for a guy like me and charlie who's going in trying to figure out how to top 10 you follow i, I think that's a really tough question to answer for a couple of reasons one uh forward facing sonar and all that has not been around long enough to give us a significant database to show if it's really impacting tournament weights. Bass fishing has so many variables. We've got the weather. You know, a tournament right after a cold front is not going to be as productive as a tournament with a nice warming trend coming in in the spring, especially. Um, we've got uh, we, we've got the up and down cycles of, of the fisheries and no fishery. And, and I haven't done a study on it, but in my opinion, off the top of my head, no fishery has been more up and down than Eufaula. For example, uh, there was a tournament on Eufaula in the, the mid-90s where, where the average fish for the winter was over five pounds, okay? And, and then there was a fish, there was a tournament, <laughs> there was a tournament a few years earlier where the average fish for the winter was under two pounds. Eufaula is wildly cyclical. You have so many variables, it's hard to say what forward-facing sonar is really doing to the weights. The other thing I will say is I'm already hearing from guys, and, and you guys can, can either support this or, or tell me it's not true, that they're noticing that bass uh, are aware of the forward-facing sonar and that when you hit them with that beam, they are scattering on some of the higher-pressured waters. So, so forward-facing sonar may not always have the same impact that we see it having today. I, yep. My two cents worth is fishing has become better, period, than when I was a young man. Fishermen have become better. Catch and release was a brand new idea when I was young. They thought you were crazy when you threw a fish back. We're seeing the benefits of that. We're seeing better fish management, better scientific theory on fish management than ever. We have a warming trend. I'm not going to call it global warming, but we have more grass, more clear water. Um, we have more bass and bigger weigh-ins in the last decade than we did the previous decade. I remember when a 20-pound bag was big. Now it's a 30 or 40-pound bag. When I first started fishing the Invitationals, Wu Daves told me, and he was correct for years, you weigh a limit every day and you'll go to the classroom. That's all it used to take. That's, no, all, that's, that's, that's all it still takes. That's all it still takes. I don't think so. I don't think so. Nobody, nobody who's caught a limit every day for a season has ever missed the Bassmaster class. Then I'm glad that's still intact because that was when Wu Daves told me that he's like, I'm like, well, I'm going to the classic all the time. But I'll say this, I'll say this. 
only a handful of guys have caught a limit every day for a season. It doesn't happen every year. Um, occasionally when the season is, uh, when the schedule is kind of, let's call it easy. There's no Ohio river. There's no Sabine river. There's no, uh, table rock. Then, then you might have two or three guys catch a fish every limit out every day of a season, but otherwise it's very rare for guys to, to limit every day for a season. And if you do, Book your ticket. Charlie, I'll say this. That first year in 2020, I believe I actually, my goal when I finished sixth in the Opens overall, my goal in the eight events was five fish a day. And based on conversations I've had with Ked and research, I said, if I catch five fish a day, it doesn't matter what what size they are in in comparison. Because that that year, uh, it it would have it would have worked. I I came four fish short. I had one, I had one or uh, five fish. I had three fish one day at Oneida. So there's two fish, and then I had one fish one day at Smith. So that's four. I was six fish short over the eighteen days that I fished. I never made a, a top ten. Um, yeah, and similar similar to what happened to me uh, two years after I failed to requalify for the elites i finished sixth in the points and they took five up and the last one was a grand and the last day i failed to weigh a limit i weighed four fish yeah, and but i knew when limit, i did you would have made it I know. and if i, I had a limit those days i would have made it <laughs> well when i'm talking about a fish every day of competition i'm talking about in the elite series right right, right. Uh, or back in the day of the tour or right. the top 150s right. all that but yeah, in the opens, obviously it it can be more challenging because there are fewer days. You know, you know how it is. You can afford to have a bad day in an open, but it has to be day three. That's right. Yeah. You don't have to make a lot of day threes. No, I mean, you have to make a lot of day threes, but you don't have to catch any at day three. The uh, Matt, you you you're too young to realize this, but when I first started fishing the Invitationals, they were like six hundred dollars, I think, and they were not even full. There were not even waiting lists for the invitationals, which were at the time the highest level of Bassmasters. I think there was an Eastern and a Western invitational before they started the tour or the BP series. But um, it's amazing what this sport has done. And, and like I hear a lot of people complain and bitch, you know, it, it's awful good right now, guys. I'm telling you right now, there's more people fishing, more people running around in bass boats, more kids fishing, more tournaments. Uh, I'm not saying the payout's great, but that's not why most people are into bass fishing. Only a handful uh, make their living at it, their true living at it. Um, but it's a really cool time, and this is going to be an exciting year, super exciting year for, for bass fishing. I agree. All right. Uh, we're going to take our first break of the show. And then when we come back, uh, we're going to uh, – I, I want to get uh, – Charlie's got some stories. He's he's been beat out for big bass, and I can tell he's salty about it. But he's such a positive guy that he's like, "Oh, good for him. He caught an eight pounder." And you know, when Charlie had a seven, but I know deep down he's like, "That son of a gun. Why didn't it come off of his cinco?" You know, he's like, "Out here, I'm Carolina rigging eighteen pound limits. I'm I'm out here for the." So we'll talk about that. Then I want to get into uh, I want to get into your big bass podcast, Ken Duke, uh, hardcore listeners and. You know, I've talked to a lot of people about the podcast and they're like, you know, it's such a small niche. I totally disagree. I think you have an absolute monster on your hands. And I don't I don't think you understand how big this could be because it's it's quirky enough 
and the the knowledge base information your co-host the way uh, it's it's quirky enough and interesting enough that i think it's one of those things that once people listen to it it draws them into to, to episodes the rest of the episodes like i'm getting you now it's going to be very difficult to get you on the show in like two three years <laughs> because because of how big this is going to get ken uh, when have i ever turned you down to be on btl I know. It's just I, I, you're always so complimentary of me and everyone you're around. When we get the chance to return the favor, I like to maybe go a little bit overboard on it. Much appreciated. All right. It is BTL on a Monday kicking off the new week from the new studio in Shawnee, Oklahoma, with a couple of Florida guys. Charlie Hartley, Ken Duke. We'll be back right after this. Introducing HDS Pro. Watch fish reacting to your lure live with Active Target 2. Get game-changing clarity in the megahertz range with the new Active Imaging HD Sonar. Find the richest fishing spots with CMAPS charts. Take full control of your boat with the ultimate fishing system, HDS Pro. The more you see, the more you catch. The new Puma STS has been redesigned from the ground up. With the angler, design, function, and performance in mind, nothing on this new offering was compromised, and the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name. Based on the soft-touch series hull that started with the flagship Jaguar, this new model is nimble and performs incredibly well at all speeds with either a 250 or 300 horsepower engine. Featuring a new 96-inch wide-body footprint, this hull measures out at 20 foot 7 inches in length. Industry-leading design coupled with tournament-winning performance. The Puma STS from BassCat. Feel the rush. Hey guys, Gerald Swindle representing the AFCO Hydronaut. This is the jacket I love wearing when times is tough. And I'm talking about the weather, not the fishing. The jacket, what I like, I got a double cup right here. I can seal up the bottom of my jacket because when you're fishing, you're holding your arms up. You're bad about getting water runs downhill. Everything bends good. I'm long arm. Look, it fits very comfortable. My arms are flexible. I've got the speed hood on, pouring down rain. I can get everything zipped up. One thing they did is they made plenty of pocket space. If you ain't got enough pockets in a Hydronaut rain suit, you just got too much stuff from the water membrane brain that's 30k baby 30 times the reason you ain't gonna get wet super warm if it's cold in the winter time you put on your hydronaut you're gonna be a much more comfortable person if you want to just look sexy at dairy queen wear your hydronaut we got it from small to 5x most rain gear does not come in that many sizes you got waist adjusting strap we can make it fit you no matter what the environment is we want you to be comfortable we want you to be dry you gotta check it out it ain't gonna let you down elite series pro daryl gleason here my Pro Guide batteries keep me going on those long tournament days and long practice days. Always plenty of juice, never fail. The best part about Pro Guide batteries, it's the people behind the company. They have over 40 years experience in the battery business, keeping all of us fishermen out on the water longer, catching more fish. Check them out at ProGuideBatteries.com. What's up, Bass Talk Live fans? Brandon Polinick here. And ever since I won a couple Bassmaster Elite Series events on X-Zone Lures, I've been getting a bunch of questions of what makes them so special and different. And really, the truth is, it's in the details. The little details, things like no cheap fillers in their plastic, 
that gives you more lifelike action, more realistic and vibrant colors. But don't just take my word for it. Go to www.exxonlures.com and check them out for yourself. Uh, welcome back, BTL, on a Monday. Ken Duke, Charlie Hartley, and I don't think headphones would work for Charlie Hartley. If you watch him during the commercials and even during the show, we've done thousands of these shows, folks, and I've never seen anyone that paces with such such uh, d- determination and consistency. We can't tether him to some headphones. We might have to get some, some iPods uh, for Charlie Hartley. Yeah, when I did Bass University, the guy with the camera cussed me all day because he couldn't follow me up and down that stage with the camera. <laughs> hey, nothing, nothing wrong with that. Uh, yes, Ken. I was going to say, you know, Matt, if if Charlie were uh, were in another sport, they would say he's got a great motor. Charlie does like have that. a great motor. Charlie like does that. have a uh, have a great motor. Hey, I also want to mention before we get back into it, uh, Omnia Fishing, new sponsor for BTL moving forward in 2023. And I'm also been trying to learn the art of the uh, not talk through the art of the. It, it's instead of playing an ad, you 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 incorporate it into the show, right? As part of the uh, a read through, read through. That's the the word I was, was working with. So you've got some of these new kind of progressive companies. Some of them, hey, I, I want to see my 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 ad on there. Talk about it. So we're working on the art of the read through. Uh, one of the things I was on this morning, still trying to get familiar with that website. It does like a bunch of lake breakdowns. You could have like individual shoppers, bunch of cool stuff. Omnia making a big push into the southern bass market. Well known up Wisconsin, Minnesota, that type of region. Uh, but uh, was on the bargain bin stuff today. Tons of Strike King stuff, tons of that, really good deals on that. So if you need some some square bills, some plastic, some rage tail craws and the like, just go ahead and check out Omnia Fishing. Take take like a, a little bit, like I'd get on it like on a PC and kind of familiarize yourself with it. Because you know, you guys are probably the same way. Like you go to the same websites, you expect the same thing time and time. And then when something new comes, regardless of how new it is, it's probably like getting people to listen to a new podcast, Ken. It takes a minute to get familiar with it. And then you learn the advantages of it. Fair assessment. How is that for, for a, a, a read through? I'm going to hope a little. I, I heard him. Go ahead, Ken. I'm sorry. I was going to say, Matt, you're smooth like butter. Smooth like butter. The uh, I saw them when they were on your show. I think it's pretty cool, uh, the things they're offering. And I think uh, if you sign up for membership or something, you get $25, $35 right away, put towards your first order or something. Yeah, no, I don't know if that's still, if that's still, still a thing. That might okay. have been a thing at the end of the year, so I have to probably... Gotcha. I have to probably take into it. All right, let's go. Uh, well, let's go Big Bass Story, Charlie Hartley, and then let's go Big Bass Podcast, Ken Duke, and see how smooth we can make that transition because I good. feel like it's seamless. Good. So far, so good. I thought we were going to run out of things to talk about. And I oh, no, no, any. no. <laughs> uh, first one I got down here, and Ken Duke mentioned it uh, in his last appearance or two. I, I was uh, honored to be a boat captain at the Bobby Lane Cup, which is just an incredible event. Uh, I have a youth club at home myself, uh, middle school and high school, but I'm always on the road and I hardly ever get to uh, participate other than sending them a check and getting all the accolades. Those advisors deserve all the credit, but I'm always available for Bobby Lane's when I get down here. I make sure uh, I get down here in time and he's always got me two really cool kids to fish with. Um, uh, Usually I always get the ones whose fathers don't fish. Their fathers don't have a boat. Uh, and I get to play dad and I just love doing that. I, I uh, whenever I volunteer, I, I cringe as it comes up. But at the end of the day, my sales are so full. I can't wait to do it again. I was honored to have two young men 
Um, by the way, uh, Forrest Wood used to say these youth fishermen always have their pants pulled up and their hats on straight. They're not all tattooed up and they're not all pierced in their face. They're good young kids like we were that loved to fish. And um, they had never been in a tournament before, not just a Bobby Lane tournament. They'd never fished a tournament before. They, the rod and reel they brought into the boat were not functional, you know, perfect for me. And uh, with a little guidance, uh, we ended up doing really good. They got to upgrade a couple of times and I think they finished in the top 10. And we're, I was so excited for them. I had been down there a week before and caught a bunch of fish and I was hoping they'd hold uh, steady. And uh, those kids didn't know anything and I had to talk it through them. I gave them that little bait that I, that little trick I showed you at the pond mat. And uh, those kids couldn't go wrong. They had a ball and I love how they support each other. They don't get competitive yet at that age. They don't say I caught more than you, you caught more than me. And then uh, I got to see uh, Lurch was there emceeing it again. Lurch is a really special person. And I got to see uh, uh, Jared Littner was there with his kid as a boat captain, which I really get along well with him. And then the, probably the highlight of that day was uh, watching Bobby Lane stand on the end of the dock as we all motored out as a proud parent. I mean, he looked like the proud Bobby Lane. You should be so proud. I mean, that was to put all that on and to get to stand there and watch us all head out uh, and have your name on it. Heck, uh, last year, the kids I had had uh, Lane jerseys on. I said, Bobby, these kids have your jerseys on. How cool is that? But uh, after that, I started fishing my regular Wednesday morning tournaments. When we get daylight savings times down here, we'll have some evening tournaments too. I fish a Sunday afternoon tournament for after church. And uh, I just finished, uh, fished the second uh, badge, uh, bass and badges, which is a really cool tournament. It uh, uh, All the uh, uh, police and sheriff and firemen are there with a pavilion set up for the kids and the kids get little firemen's hats and, and and hat. And I got a sheriff badge because I came in the top three and uh, it benefits the Osceola Anglers, which is a youth club down here that I've been involved with. Really good youth club. Uh, it's amazing the unselfishness of those parents to donate their time like they do to these clubs because it is time consuming. Um, one suggestion I'll make for youth tournaments, though, and I've been trying to push this until they get older. It shouldn't be eight hours. It should be four hours or something because bless their hearts. At that age, that is a long time to stay focused and not hate fishing by the end of the day. It's OK if you're with Charlie Hartley. I can entertain you for eight hours. But. A lot of guys, after a few hours, you want to go in and play with your phone or your skateboard, but uh, it, it's a pleasure. Anyway, uh, that badge uh, badge and uh, bass, bass and badge tournament is a really nice event, and we came in third. I got to fish with my good buddy, Terry Seagraves, that I partner up with a lot when I'm down here. Terry uh, went to a classic, and we were contemporaries way back in the day. I actually uh, was friends with Terry before I even knew Tracy. Uh, so that goes back a long ways. And we're still great friends. And he's young, no, but unbelievably spry still. Uh, so much of honor to fish with him. Uh, we have a lot of fun in the boat. We both uh, cut up all day. People can't tell if we love each other or hate each other. We cut up all day. Hey, uh, Charlie, I could, can't remember, was that on the show or was that when I was staying there at the open for your house when you were talking about the first dates with Tracy and that stuff? Those were <laughs> those were some awesome stories. 
I am blessed. Uh, the, the two biggest blessings in my life have been bass fishing and Tracy Hartley. And uh, I'm going to get choked up on that uh, hokey about it. But there's nothing wrong um, with that. Yeah, I know. I know. I love my wife. She puts up with this, you know. Yeah. But, um, dude, I'm going to call you out. I mean, I'm not going to call you out. But the <laughs> best story, I'm, I'm, I'll let you tell it if you want to. But I'll just say the best story is when they kind of, Ken, I don't know if you've heard this. They kind of had a come to Jesus meeting about Charlie fishing tournaments. And the acceptance had worked back, back and forth. Do you remember that story? As to there might have been like an instance where she was like, ah, you're not fishing tournaments. And then you went out and like physically couldn't go fish the tournament. That might be the greatest story I've ever heard in my life, Charlie. Every passionate bass fisherman has gone through that uh, when they uh, involve a partner in their life. <laughs> and it's as I always story. tell her now, and she laughs, and I, you guys are welcome to use this line. Don't be jealous of a fish. When it comes to people, you're my favorite people. I just prefer fish. And, you know, you can't compete with a different animal. But uh, I, I think Matt's talking about uh, when we first got married, uh, I didn't show up for a couple of my evening tournaments. And my buddies called immediately. Where are you? Are you are your legs broken? Are you dead? We're worried about you. Well, my wife doesn't think it'd be such a good idea after working all day that I go fishing all night, you know, little time for her. And they said, did you hear what you just said? They said, are we going to have to come over there and smack some sense? I said, I'll be there tomorrow night. I just heard what I just said. <laughs> well, <laughs> I went that night and of course the phone rang. I ignored it for a little bit, but it was new in the marriage. So I couldn't ignore it all night. I finally picked it up. And she explained to me I needed to get home, and I loaded the boat early and went home. Well, that was the last time I did that. We came to an understanding. <laughs> that, you know what? If I have to choose between these two. Uh, <laughs> That's your two passions in life, Charlie. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Well, let's let's switch to our, our real yeah. uh, famous person here, Ken Duke. And I want to bring up two things with you, Ken. One uh, Mr. Batista, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Terry Batista. I've got, I've got two partners, Batista. guys, Thank on the you. podcast. Yep. Uh, Terry and I are in front of the camera. Basically, we're sort of the host of the show. And our other partner, Nathan Benson, who I work with at BASS for many years, Nathan is the brains behind the operation. He, he makes sure you can hear us, see us, and that the thing gets out there. Uh, listening to him talk about the records getting getting broken in California while he was living it is so neat. And what these young these young kids don't understand, he'd talk about these records getting in the paper. We didn't have internet. We didn't have internet. So that right. paper was your brand. I mean, when you caught a big fish, even in Ohio, or if we won a little tournament in Ohio, there was a little section in the back of the sports page, one column on fishing, they'd list a couple tournament results or, or about a sports show or something like that. I found my first tournament because someone put an index card up on the Woolworth Woolco tackle department, because we didn't have tackle stores back then, saying at 5.30 Tuesday night, there'll be a tournament. And I talked to my mom into taking us there. The internet has changed all of what you do, Ken, and uh, the way you have to go back and find these archives, it's probably fun, fun, fun for you. I can tell you get excited when you do it. Um, but I also wanted to bring up two things on your Big Bass podcast. One, we are living in super interesting times, a 10-pound Great Lakes smallmouth, and we've got OHIV going off right now with 60-pound five-fish limits. 
these are unheard of things. I just want to give you my two cents worth on the 10-pound Lake Erie fish and see what you think because I respect your opinion. My opinion is that that is a freak of nature. Otherwise, we would see a year class slowly getting to that size. And I fish tournament after tournament at Lake Erie. I catch smallmouth after smallmouth at Lake Erie. I was blessed to be on the water the day that 10-pounder was caught. I was within five miles of it. My phone started lighting up. I thought, God, why couldn't I have caught that fish? Can you imagine what that would do for your career to catch a 10-pound Great Lake? Wait water? a second. Wait a second. So – you know, BTO. So we had Charlie Hartley and, and, Frank. and Frank Scalish within five miles of that fish, both on Lake Erie when it was no, caught. It's not coincidence. The weather lined up for that day for there to be a record caught. We were there because we watched the weather pattern. Mr. Clapper came up to me that day. We were all out there. It was the stars were lining up. We. It's kind of like trophy anything, trophy deer hunting. The, the late, late year up there, we clobber them. I mean, they, they group up so bad, it can be re 100 fish days with 80 over four pounds. I'm not exaggerating, but we do not see seven pounders. We might see a six. A six is a rare bird. I go to weigh-in after weigh-in at Lake Erie, Lake St. Clair, seven pounders like a, like a unicorn. How many of them are there, Ken? How many of them are there? out there how many eights, eight, sevens eights nines like i mean is there great record keeping is how many not like how many of those eight pound smallmouth come out of the great lakes no there's not great record keeping about that matt what you find out when you dig into these records like i have for decades because it fascinates me um is that uh that once the peak is established and let's say for example out at, out at erie now that peak is 10 pounds people stop reporting a lot of the sixes, sevens, and eights because they know it's not a record. The other thing I think that's important to remember, and I've talked to a lot of biologists about this, is, is there's a, a pyramid of bass size out there. Now at the top, maybe the 10 pounder, but for there to be one 10 pounder, there's probably gotta be four or five, 10, nine pounders. There's gotta be 30, 40, 50, eight pounders, and just an ocean of, of five, sixes, and sevens. To, to get one to break through and reach 10. So there are obviously going to be some more giant fish out there, but uh, how many of them are going to get caught? Uh, that's, that's impossible to say. Now, what's interesting is that's, that's way further North than anybody's ever certified a 10 pound smallmouth bass. You know, most of the 10 pound smallmouth bass, I mean, I mean way more than half of the certified 10 pound smallmouth bass have come from Dale hollow Lake on the uh, Tennessee, Kentucky border, including, the current world record caught by David Hayes in 1955 at a remarkable and perhaps never to be broken 11 pounds, 15 ounces. Hey, what is the... caught in Florida, according to your podcast? <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Everybody's got to go back and check out our Walter Harden episode on the big bass podcast, where you can read all about the 13 and 14 pound small that came from Florida back in the 1930s. The only uh, reason I think we have a chance at another one if she made babies, that 10 pounder made babies and whatever genetic freak was in her DNA got passed on. Now, just like in the Guinness Book of World Records, we'll go back. There's a man every once in a while grows to eight feet, but it's not because his mom and dad were eight feet. It's a genetic mistake. And at least maybe she passed some of those on. I think it was a hormone imbalance or something to that effect for a fish to get that much larger than its brothers and sisters. I don't, I just don't see how else it could happen. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm not a biologist, obviously, not a geneticist. Uh, yeah, there has to be some sort of outlier, some sort of breakthrough, some sort of reason for that fish to, to reach that. But the, the, there are there are three things you got to have to grow a big fish, whether it's a 10-pound smallmouth or, or even a six or seven-pound smallmouth. You got to have the right genetics. You got to have the right habitat. And, and you got to have enough food and the right food the high protein food, maybe, which is the gobies or something like that. So, so maybe this goby era is helping drive some of that. They obviously have good genetics lately. They've had great habitat out there. As long as there's not a pollution issue and things like that, perhaps Erie can produce for a long time. Uh, what you see in Texas with the Sherlunker stuff is let's not forget guys. Sherlunker might be nice, but Sherlunker is a marketing program. It is not a trophy bass raising program. When, when Sherlunker said, oh, we're going to produce a, a new world record largemouth bass within five years, which they said about 1990, uh, they have not grown the state record by one ounce since that time. <laughs> Sherlunker is, is very, very shaky as far as producing world-class bass it, fishing. Very, very an, shaky. An experiment, as you say. It's an experiment. It's, but it's not, it hasn't even really been an experiment until reasonably recently when they started working more with the genetics but uh what happens in texas is what happens in a lot of places right now ohiv is smoking hot but if you look back at the at the duration of share lunker which started in the 1980s uh what would happen is one lake would get on fire and it would produce four five six share lunker fish which have to be at least 13 pounds and then it would go dark and i mean it would not produce another 13 pound fish for a decade or more so that those genetics were not working out. What it is, and we go back to what we were talking about at the top of the show, guys. What it is, is Micropterus salmoides floridanus, Florida <laughs> largemouth bass. You introduce the Florida largemouth bass into a fishery, 12 to 15, 18 years later, it is going to go crazy. It is going to break every state record. But then, then what happens is those pure Florida bass are no longer getting lucky enough to breed with other pure Florida largemouth bass and you, you deplete the genetic material and these fish become F2s, F3s, F4s, and, and the size of the bass levels out. Similar to what uh, happened at Chickamauga. It happens, happens everywhere you put these fish. Now, yep. can you, can you cause it to respike by introducing more pure Floridas? Probably. It's what happened in California. It's what happened. It's what happened in Mississippi, in Texas, in Arizona, in every state that has introduced Florida largemouth bass. That's what happens. And I've had biologists tell me recently, guys who who know what they're doing and are, who are making a, a concerted effort to grow the largest bass in the world, have told me that there is no bass over say 18 pounds that is not a pure Florida largemouth bass. Very interesting. That's end of my 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 Florida rant. Super interesting, though. I loved uh, hearing about the, as you called it, barrel biology. When I was a kid, I wrote uh, uh, many English and, and reports on fishing and read in the old encyclopedias about guys dumping barrels of fish out of trains when they crossed rivers. And that's how the bass got out west, which is just amazing that uh, there were passionate enough people that thought, I need this fish west of the miss i mean unbelievable they would go to that extreme even the guy trying to bring smallmouth down to florida or vice versa amazing that it was just passionate fishermen that started distributing florida strain around unbelievable 
Well, not not just passionate fishing, not, not not just passionate anglers, but back in the 1860s and 70s, the uh, U.S. Fish Commission had a, a guy leading it called Spencer Fullerton Baird. And this is the guy who deserves a lot more credit for uh, the spread of bass in the country than than anybody else, because he was the guy loading, having his department load fish into into giant barrels and dumping them anywhere and not just bass, but other kinds of fish, too. And, and they were dumping them anywhere. And a lot of times these fish were dying within minutes, but sometimes they took hold. And, and Spencer Fullerton Baird is the Johnny Appleseed. Uh, you took the words of, out of, of the bath. Yeah, Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> All right, I'm going to I'm going to bring this up. I didn't know if I was going to bring it up on this show, but I've had I have a lot of drive time and a lot of ideas that go through my head. It's a it's a blessing and a curse that I learned from Mark Jeffries, who is always trying to come up with the new thing. But uh, I knew I was going to have you guys on the show. I know Charlie appreciates history. I know Ken Duke, you are the reason why we appreciate the history because a lot of the history that we know about is because of you. We're talking about these people's names. Honestly, no one would I would I would go my entire life full time in this industry, never know any of this stuff because there's one passionate person who knows about it. Here's my question. Let me see if I can word this right. Why is this important? How much does the average person who likes bass fishing need to know about this? How important is it for the preservation of the sport, for the the kids in Hartley's Hogs, for the kids at Bobby Lane's tournament, for me in the Opens, for a college kid to have an understanding just of of how we reach where we are now, both big bass tournaments, the guys who started the tournaments and the whole thing. To me, I'll just let you answer that question. How important is it? And why is there not a small course that you could do just in three days that would put <laughs> things into perspective, that would put things into perspective for people so they know what they're getting into and 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 how this thing all came about? Is that even important? Well, I, I think that stuff is important, and I love the question, Matt. Uh, I'll, I'll say it's important for several reasons. One, there's an old saying about history, and, and that and that is that if you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. So if you have a little understanding of the history of how our sport has worked, how uh, even fishing techniques, how they've come about, then, then you have a better understanding of how it all came together. You have a better chance of taking it that next step and advancing it. Uh, you're going you're gonna to be ahead of your peers because of that understanding. You're going to catch more fish because of that understanding. You're going you're gonna to know where it applies. You're going to know where other guys have failed, so you won't have to go down that path toward failure. Uh, on the historical level, I think it was so frustrating for me uh, in a particular, for a particular company I worked for some years ago to watch when they did not learn from what should have been their own institutional knowledge they would they would try something and i would i would say well you know they did this 14 years ago it didn't work here's why it didn't work here's why this won't work this time but you know it, it falls on deaf ears because they didn't they lacked the institutional knowledge or the understanding of why it had bombed uh that was very frustrating when you know it's it's great to learn from your own mistakes but it's a hell of a lot better if you can learn from other people's mistakes you're going to save yourself a whole lot of problems if you can learn from other people's mistakes. Uh, but if people aren't willing to do that, then they're doomed. And they're doomed to repeat history. Um, I think that the history of the sport, and it's usually overlooked, but I think the history of the sport gives us a whole new perspective on it. It's an interesting perspective. And, uh, and, it, and it can give you a whole other level of passion. Uh, Charlie loves the history of the sport. There are a lot of 
Bass pros who really enjoy the history of the sport. You know, we mentioned him earlier. Edwin Evers is knows his stuff on the history of the sport. Charlie Hartley knows his stuff on the Bernie Schultz. My God, Bernie really is a stuff. a world class expert on antique tackle. Um, and I think these guys have a better understanding of our sport than than the people who don't. And, and Matt, when you say you don't, you wouldn't have heard a lot of these names and so forth. I get it. I get it because you're blazing your own trail. You're in a sense, you're like me. Uh, I didn't have a, a parent who who enjoyed fishing. I kind of learned it and picked it all up myself. Um, but if you if you dig into the history a little bit, it's just another area to jump in and and find passion in our sport. Um, and the older you get, at least in my case, the more I appreciate the history because I've seen some of it. I was I was witness to some of it, like like Charlie and and Frank Scalish being on the water when the ten pounder was caught out of Erie. At this point in my life, uh, I've gotten to see. Like for example, I was there that day on day one of the two thousand eight Bassmaster Classic when Charlie Hartley led as a rookie, the first day of his first Bassmaster Classic. That was a hell of a day. That was greatest a hell day of, of my day. life. Greatest day of my life. Uh. That was I got the, to share it with I got to share it with Charlie Hartley. I got, I got to walk to up to him, shake his hand, and <laughs> congratulate him on an amazing day. The uh, back to the history though, and thank you. You're so complimentary. Uh, I'm afraid it's not just the history of fishing. They're not teaching history of anything anymore, and it's a shame. I, I, I'm sorry. I sound like an old fart and Matt's laughing at us. Like who needs American history? I'm the one who brought it up. <laughs> well, I know. I'm just using you as an example, but they, they call baseball, the American sport. Daggone it. Bass fishing is the American sport. There's no more American sport than bass fishing. And I've been, been blessed to be in a big block of the history. And there was a big block before me. There's going to be a big block after us. And if someone doesn't write this stuff down as hokey as it sounds, it'll be lost. It'll be gone. It's just done over dust. I mean, no one's going to get into the old books. They're only going to look at the Internet and say, how do I do this now? Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's a shame. And, and uh, I think part of the reason we respect it as we get older is we realize we're going to be history and we'd like to be remembered a little, too. So someone write this stuff down. <laughs> All right, this is a, this is case in point right here, guys. And I would have I would have mentioned this. This right here is is obviously uh, what I'm holding up there. Wheaties box, Denny Brower on the on the cover of it. The Breakfast of Champions, 1998 FLW Tour Angler of the Year, uh, and and you could go into the uh, the Denny Brower discussion on that. I do a uh, Kurt Dove's Pro Bass Camp every year down at Amistad or up at Oneida, and. Uh, uh, these are high school kids, right? And every once in a while, you'll get one that's a real student of the game. Typically, their dad fishes, and they. But most of them are are uh, the YouTube generation. This is nothing against them. They're passionate anglers that that are are dedicated to their craft. They fish high school. They want to be professional fishing. It is they're quitting other sports to fish. But at the one down at Amistad, Denny Brower is there for both episodes and these kids get to go out and fish on Amistad with Denny Brower for a full day. Now there's also a bunch of other of us around there. One of which is, you know, Rick Harris who guides down there. Well, he's, he's Ruben with the kids and Rick's won a Toyota series, right? Uh, and is a guy down there and me and a number of other people. Well, what a couple, like 
last year we're down there one and they're doing the pairings for the next day and one of the kids draws Denny Brower and he goes oh man I wanted to fish with Rick <laughs> and, 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 oh, there's nothing wrong with it but it was like time out time out history lesson <laughs> like you, you can get, Rick's an awesome dude to fish with yeah you're gonna have a hell of a time with Rick but dude Denny Brower and they didn't know who Denny Brower was. Now there was a couple other kids that were like, dude, it's Denny Brower. But that's that's what I'm worried about is that like freaking Denny Brower, man. Like everyone needs to know who that is. That's and that's that's recent history, Matt. So imagine this stuff Ken's looking up. It, it it's it, uh, I'm I'm afraid that's just what happened. Time goes on. But America is still a very young country. We're only several generations into this country so let's save it while we can because uh, i can't believe how quick time goes how quick a generation uh gets added to our sport um you know i don't i don't want to get way off track but look at all these great young anglers now that are going to be the next you know kevin van dams the next jacob wheelers the next i mean they're coming on they're coming on is this true Kevin? Is this is this uh, is this true right now? Sorry, the echo got it. Is this true? Are we getting younger? I know you always say, "Hey, we're not getting younger." It's still thirty-eight to forty years old. Your prime is still in your forties. In the last couple of years, are we now officially getting younger? Is that sliding to younger championships? I just filmed something with Mercer for the bilge deal that we're coming out with, and it's hey, is is uh, is someone going to beat Stanley Mitchell's nineteen eighty-one classic record of twenty-one years, five five months? Hard. 13 days yeah um no well i don't I, I need to look at the list of classic qualifiers but ordinarily there's not anybody in the field who's Agreed. young enough to break stanley's record yeah um but is the field getting younger the, the the field is is a little bit younger but that's that's that's, that's because of financial opportunity we could not afford to fish a bass masters or have a boat that could fish a bass masters till we were in our 30s Kids now at 20 years old, I'm not saying they're winning, but they're having the ability to enter a Bassmasters. We couldn't very one or two people fish their first Bassmasters at that age back then, like Zell Roland or. Well, but, but the elite series is a little bit younger, guys. The elite series is a little bit younger than it was, but that's because of the purge and the defections in 2019. That's not because natural filtration in and out have made it a younger field. It's strictly because of that. The guys who are qualifying for the Classic have gotten just slightly younger. I mean, less than a year younger on average. The average guy who qualifies for a Bassmaster Classic is 40. If you want to go back and see when the sport was at its youngest, it was the mid mid and early 1970s when the average Classic qualifier was 35. Uh, but that's, that's where the range is. The range is pretty small. The sport is not getting particularly younger. Uh, high school and college bass programs are not making the sport bigger. They're just not. They're not increasing spending. They're not. They're not. And there's a ton of data to show this. Uh, here's, here's how you grow the sport. You go out there and you find a lot of people under 12 years old and you introduce them to the sport. That's where growth comes from. It doesn't come from high school and college. It just doesn't. It comes from 12 and younger. And it always has. <laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up. Actually, my dad is listening to the show and he took a picture of a book that is on the coffee table at their house in Decatur, Illinois. 
and he's never fished a bass tournament in his life. He's the one who got me into fishing, took me to Canada, but not a hardcore bass angler. And he sent me this book and he's like, Hey, you want to talk about like a history? He's like, why are you not showing that? Oh yeah. I've got that, Ken. I've got a <laughs> that, copy of that. If you're That's listening, that is the bass fishing vault, the bass fishing vault collector's edition book to produce one of the most expensive books to produce. If I recall, but if you, if you want to kind of know the history of it and how it all came about to where we are up until what year did that come out, Ken? Wow. This is about 2010. Something yeah. like that. Now I know there's a bunch of chapters after it, but the history hasn't changed before that. This book you can get on and, and buy it. This is the, the book that you need. Everyone needs this book that, that gives you a great, a great representation of makes, an makes understanding great Christmas of gifts. Also Christmas gifts for next year. Go ahead and pre-order. <laughs> Another great book uh, on the history of, of bass fishing is uh bass boss the biography of ray yeah. scott the yeah. late great ray scott yeah. um that's a terrific book by robert boyle um that's a wonderful book that'll teach you the history of, of modern tournament fishing in the sport um yeah i love that thank you for there you go bass boss uh thanks for showing that that book matt because i i wrote part of that book and and bill dance wrote the foreword for that book Bill just recently published his latest book called Fish Tales, and I wrote the foreword for Bill's book. So, awesome. uh, what an honor! Full circle. Oh, it was a, an enormous honor. Yeah, I said, Charlie, I said to Bill, I said, Hey, man, why don't uh, why don't you have somebody who can help you sell some books write the foreword for your book? And he said, No, I want you to do it. So, that was what a class act. Bill, Bill Dance oh. is a class act, man. He's a great man, a great man. All right, Ken, I want to get into this. Uh, Real quick, and then we'll take our, our final break of the show and come back. I don't know what it, what y'all have going on because, like I said, Charlie runs the company from Florida. Every time when I would stay with him every morning when I was there, he'd be up at 4 a.m. on the computer doing calls, doing all that, then on the water at 8. And I know you, aside from being a world-famous podcaster now, you still are with Fishing <laughs> Tackle Retailer. But yeah. I want to I get into the actual podcast. You are, uh, what, six episodes in now. You talked a lot about it on the show. It is called... Uh, the Big Bass Podcast website is the Big Bass or the Big Bass Podcast.com, available on all uh, iTunes downloads, uh, YouTube, and the site. There's the site right there that you can go through and, and watch it. But uh, thoughts, expectations so far now that this thing is launched and, and you are looking to grow it and continue it. Yeah, uh, it's it's been a lot of fun, and and Matt, I have to thank you for uh, being an inspiration to make this thing happen. Um, you know, you and I have talked about my doing something like this for a long time, and uh, and I wanted to do something like this for a long time, and I bought a whole bunch of podcasting equipment three four years ago to do it, and and several things stopped me. The biggest one was the technical stuff. I knew I couldn't do the technical stuff. Um, but a buddy of mine, Nathan Benson, he can. He's got a degree in digital media. He's way smarter than me. He's uh, he's able to do the technical stuff. But then I realized, oh my gosh, this is a it's, it's so much. It's a lot of work. A lot hours and hours and hours of research go into each one of those episodes. Apart from the fact that that I've been studying this stuff for my whole life, hours and hours and hours of research go into each episode. I said I can't keep up with that pace. Um, and so finally, it. it dawned on me i've got a i've got to bring in terry batisti who is the ultimate historian on our sport and just as eaten up with it as i am and uh and not only a great guy who's crazy smart he's got a phd in chemical engineering by the way 
but uh, a fabulous accountability partner and uh, and somebody who I can bounce ideas off and he'll he'll tell me if I'm an idiot or if it has potential. So uh, back in November, we started recording and we launched it on on January 3rd. I was fortunate enough to be on your show uh, not long before that. And I said, we're launching on January 3rd. And that was kind of that put extra pressure on us to make that happen. So we actually did make that happen. We launched with four episodes on January 3rd. We're putting one out every Tuesday for now until um, we are we are dragged off the internet. Um, we're having a great time with it. It's a lot of work. Our goal, our goal is to tell great stories about big bass. Um, our goal is to uh, you know if we can if we can become popular and find a big audience, that'd be great. Uh, if we can monetize, that'd be great. But right now we're having a, a good time telling stories about big bass and, and sharing our passion for the sport. Now, oh, I'm jumping around, jumping around. Sorry about that. Why big bass? Well, one reason was I know I can't compete with BTL. I can't do a show as I can't do a show with this kind of format nearly as well as Matt Pangrak does it or nearly as well as Matt and Mark Jeffries did it. So I can't hang with you. I can't do an education show like uh, like a Bass U or, or yours. This is an education show quite often. Um, I can't I can't do that. People don't come to me for that. Maybe they read the articles I write about how to, but they're not expecting me to do how to. Um, so I wanted to find something where where I thought it would be interesting. I thought it would be fun and I wouldn't be competing with my friends. And so I thought, you know, nobody's really telling stories specifically about big bass. And um, and so I thought, you know, this this might have some real potential. And and when Nathan and Terry agreed with me, I said, okay, I might be onto something here. And and thus the Big Bass podcast, which has been a lot of fun so far. It's fantastic. So what's the what's the I mean, we, you're going to go through uh, the fake records, the real records, how records come about controversies, things that are rock solid interviews like it's going to cover everything that you've ever heard rumor story. I mean, this is you're just scratching the surface so far. Yeah, exactly. We're we've covered some big fish. Our, our next episode uh, is going to be at the record keeping organizations, IGFA, Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, the states. Uh, we're going to do an episode very soon on Walter Balonis and the, the state record largemouth bass out of Massachusetts, which was caught through the ice and weighed 15 and a half pounds. Uh, we're going to do stories about the frauds. We're going to do a five episode a uh, story on George Perry's world record. We're going to do a three episode uh, series on David Hayes' smallmouth record. We're going to cover Monabu Krita. We're going to cover ones that got away. Bill Dance has an amazing story about what he believes was a world record smallmouth bass that he, he lost years ago. Uh, we're going to cover a world record smallmouth that Billy Westmoreland uh, lost on Christmas day of 1970. Uh, we're into the April Fool's jokes. We're into anything that has to do with big bass. We're there. This is going to be huge. We've only got 400 episodes mapped out so far. So. <laughs> but listen, I was, I was worried you'd run out of things to talk. About. Yeah, Charlie, don't worry. Uh, those, a, those ideas will outlive me. Here's the thing. That's the, the beauty of this. 
is it's got every element that that attracts people and brings them in as far as the intrigue, the controversy, the information, and the storytelling and the expertise. I mean, you combine all those five things together, and it's a it's a win win. I mean, even if you're even if you're not into uh, motocross and there's like a half hour story on the guy who did the longest jump. You're going to be like, yeah, I want to know how that guy jumped 250 feet on this motorcycle. And you don't have to know anything about it, but it's the personalities and the stories around it. And then the controversy about, yeah, but he had, you know, this type of blah, blah, blah. And it didn't conform. I mean, there's all sorts of that. And then this guy claims that he jumped 300 yards. But then if you did like if you do the cat, it, it doesn't matter that I don't know anything about it. It's the personalities and the story and the way it's presented. So. Very excited for it and uh, just wanted to get that out to as many people as possible to start gaining traction because the more traction it has, the more people listen to it, the more financially valuable it becomes, which means the more that Ken and Terry and Nathan can spend time researching and doing it because, like I said, they, they, they all have jobs as, you know, this is a, a passion project at this time. It really is. And I should, I should, I would be remiss if I didn't mention we're on YouTube, we're on Stitcher, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on every podcast platform out there. And, uh, you know, you're absolutely right about uh, what, when, when somebody clicks on a show, guys, we don't assume they know anything about the fish. We, we want to take them right down the rabbit hole with us. And uh, it reminds me a little bit, since you brought it up, Matt, you did a great job of, of jogging my memory and, and, and I guess even how I think about the show, um, ESPN has this series they call 30 for 30 and they might do one on a, a women's bowling league. And I promise you, I don't care about women's bowling leagues, but I'll watch just because I'll figure, well, there's gotta be a story there because they're devoting an hour of precious television time and countless thousands of dollars to producing this thing. So yeah. I'm hey, right now, right there. now, I think that Mark Jeffries is on a recruiting trip to get a female bowler from like Wisconsin to go to, to SNU for his bowling team. I'm not kidding. He's on a female bowling recruiting trip. Like right now, his sole goal is to get the women's side of his SNU collegiate bowling program like up, like up and rolling. Is, it's is just she, funny that you happy? mentioned that. Matt, is he happy? He seems like he's real happy. He's, Mark happy. Oh, he's, he's elated. Anyway, no, no story oh, yeah. on that. I just thought it was funny you use that example while our while Mark Jeffries is off, you know, being like, hey, you know, and the weather is nice for seven days out of the year in Oklahoma. <laughs> hey, I hope Mark can hear hears this, but uh, Mark, you know, as, as I am a two-time graduate of the University of Georgia, which just won its second uh, national football championship in a row. And if you're looking for inspiration for these bowlers, you might want to play Kirby Smart's pregame speech. <laughs> I hadn't heard it. All right. Oh, um, no, don't. You don't want it. I was, it's, what is it? NSFW? Not safe for work. Right. Yeah, it ain't. All right, we're going to take our final break. When we come back, uh, Major League Fishing just announced that they're going back to the five fish format for the regular season events. I've had this talk with you before, Ken. Where do you put the four years of every fish counts into the history books of bass fishing? How do you compare what Edwin did at Redcrest with the hundreds of pounds? How do you compare what Jacob Wheeler has done over the last couple of years with all the, the weights and all that? We just had a discussion about history. I want to get your take on where that stands when we come back for our final segment. Charlie, 
You're well, you don't have anything to do. You're in freaking Florida hanging out in your garage with the fishing boat. I'm just keeping you from catching seven pounders. That's it. So uh it is Monday. Uh BTL. We will be back with the final segment right after this. Elite Series Pro Daryl Gleason here. My Pro Guide batteries keep me going on those long tournament days and long practice days. Always plenty of juice, never fail. The best part about Pro Guide batteries, it's the people behind the company. They have over 40 years experience in the battery business, keeping all of us fishermen out on the water longer, catching more fish. Check them out at ProGuideBatteries.com. What's up, Bass Talk Live fans? Brandon Polinick here. And ever since I won a couple Bassmaster Elite Series events on X-Zone Lures, I've been getting a bunch of questions of what makes them so special and different. And really, the truth is, it's in the details. The little details, things like no cheap fillers in their plastic, that gives you more lifelike action, more realistic and vibrant colors. But don't just take my word for it. Go to www.xzonelures.com and check them out for yourself. Are you looking to install your own fishing electronics? The solution is the Bass Tank Power Harness. It takes the guesswork out of installation. No more voltage issues or interference. Designed by an engineer so that you can get professional results right there in your own garage. Installation done right with the help of the Bass Tank Power Harness. You can feel confident knowing that your installation was done right. The Bass Tank Power Harness. Give us a call or order yours today at thebasstank.com. Get the best patterns back by Tournament Data. Start by finding the best 10% of your lake. Know exactly what to look for and what to throw. After that, you just put them in the boat. Try the Deep Dive app today. Look at that beast right there. Combining one of the most popular hook styles with Gamakatsu's beefier Superline offering, the Gamakatsu Superline Offset Round Bend delivers the strength necessary to target big fish in heavy cover. Well suited for braided line and heavier fluorocarbon, the Gamakatsu Superline Offset Round Bend is built using stronger Superline wire that allows anglers to easily fish a finesse worm around heavy cover. The round band offers a larger bite area, perfect for any worm presentation, while increasing your hookup ratios. The newly enhanced Z-Band holds your plastics on the hook longer, reducing the number of pull-offs and reducing damage to plastics. Available in 2-aught, 3-0, 4-0, and 5-0, this is the most durable worm hook, designed for heavier lines that hold your bait on longer. Preparation is key to success. And that preparation starts well before you ever hit the water. You're only as strong as your connection to the fish, and your line is that critical connection. Confidence in your line every minute of every day on the water is a necessity, and failure, it's not an option. Sunline makes the fluorocarbon, nylon, and braided lines to give you the strength to guarantee your confidence. Have you considered purchasing new electronics for your rig? The type of mounts you choose to protect your investment should be part of the decision-making process. No matter if you prefer one, two, or three graphs up front, Beatdown Outdoors has a solution for you. Adjustable, versatile, rigid, and made in the USA. What's your ultimate electronic setup? Check out the full selection of Beatdown Outdoors products by visiting BeatdownOutdoors.com. All right, welcome back. Final segment of BTL Bass Talk Live on a Monday with two legends in the industry. 
That would be Charlie Hartley and Ken Duke. And I knew they'd both shake <laughs> their head. Charlie. That's why I said it, because they're Just both Charlie. humble on it. Dude, Charlie, you led you led the you like that. Think about that classic. So like this is what I, I think about it every day, no, man. No, no, You're no. not gonna tell me anything I don't know about that. This class. is what crossed my mind on it. So at Hartwell in the open, I, I've had I've had it a couple times where there was nothing else overlapping it. So like Bass Nation Championship final day, final day at Hartwell. I've consciously thought going out that day this is the biggest bass tournament going on in the world right now this is what i have dedicated my life to this is what i love and i'm one of the 10 guys that is in this like i've got the camera guy right there and i'm like a i'm like how did this happen b and b i'm like this is really cool and c both times, instead of being freaked out, I've been like, I need to embrace this moment. Now, I know the killer instinct might be, yeah, of course I'm supposed to be here. I'm going to be here again, too. And I, the only thing the camera's doing is getting in my damn way, and I'm going to go get ready to kick some butt. But to, there's not many people, and you go back to that 2008 Harwell Classic that Ken Duke brought up, and you thought about it. Dude, you are leading the biggest event in the history of the world and something that you absolutely love to do. And I'm sure Ken could tell you how many different day one or day two or how many different leaders there have ever been in the Bassmaster Classic as opposed to the tens of thousands of anglers that have aspired to be there. And dude, you have that feeling. How many is it, Ken? It's obviously less than 100 because there's only been... <laughs> Was only been how many classics? Yeah, we're we're coming up on uh, classic number fifty three here, uh, and and I'll, I'll tell you this: uh, it's just a handful of guys, and and a rookie leading the classic doesn't happen much anymore. Only one rookie has led the classic since Charlie led day one of two thousand eight. Only one I, rookie has led it since then. Who was that? Keith Poche in two thousand twelve. Red River. Yeah, Chris Lane's classic. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, what, what Charlie did to, to lead the classic on his first day at a Bassmaster Classic is really rare. Boy Duckett did it, Carl Maxfield, a guy named Jack Wade, uh Jim. I Bitter, knew Carl, Carl well. Carl Maxfield was a great guy. God. Yeah, a, yeah. a handful of guys have done it. And as the classic becomes, you know, is as more and more classics are in our rearview mirror, it happens less and less. So what Charlie did is is wildly rare. it's crazy how it's just part of history like oh yeah the charlie hartley classic deal or was, you know, it was alton jones's classic i know it was alton's classic, classic i mean dude, you can only make a mop jig in 40 foot so exciting like at least <laughs> <laughs> with charlie you had docks and hook sets and stories um it, it man it was uh, cool. i mean i hate the word surreal um, but if there's ever a definition of it, when I when they told me I was leading the classic 30 years of work and, and emotion and uh, there's a, as happy as Charlie always acts. He does not like not winning. He, he hates it. So to see that all come together was like this was all worth it. All that all night driving all those scraping my quarters together to get a new prop when I couldn't afford it. All that driving every night on Friday night from Ohio to where the water wasn't frozen to South Carolina to Florida for two days of fishing and driving back. I did things 
that other people wouldn't do. All my fishing buddies would not do what I did. And I thought, daggone it, it was worth it. Look what you've just done. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was uh, gratifying would be the word. You do all that work, Matt. You know, you do the work. And sometimes it seems like, what am I doing? If I put this much energy to anything else, I'd be a billionaire. And thank God it's not about money. It's the passion and to be standing on a stage leading the classic with couldn't even believe it, Matt. Could not even believe it. Uh, fortunately, Charlie, you did put that passion towards something else in a business and now you're able to live in Florida. I, I, I promise it doesn't get put that working. Uh, so so let me ask let me ask Ken this because because Ken have you ever chased like have you ever been like I want to become a professional bass angler or have you all like has that ever been in I don't think I've ever asked you that. Was that ever originally part of your dream or goal when you got into this? Yeah, uh, it was. When I was in high school, that was my dream. I wanted to be Bill Dance, Roland Martin, Rick Clun, Dave Gleeby. I wanted to be that guy. But I didn't. I grew up in an extremely rural part of South Carolina. I uh, I went to the same high school as Davy Height, for example. I went to high school with Davy Height's wife. No way. Yeah, we, we were classmates. We were we were voted we were voted most intelligent uh, boy and girl in our class. No, she she's proved that's correct. I have you and up. Davy Heights wife are in the year together voted yeah. as most intelligent in the class. Yeah. <laughs> it's a small world, Matt Pagrack. It's a small world. Um, so yeah, and, and, and I wanted it, but I didn't know how to do it. I had no frame <laughs> of reference. Nobody in my area had done it. Um, and so I I kept the passion for fishing and, and for the history of the sport and for reading about it and doing it. But I didn't know how to accomplish what guys like Charlie and, and Davey ultimately did. So I went in a different direction and, and um, that has ultimately led me here. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that was, that was a, a dream of mine for a while when I was a kid. Okay. One quick, one quick question, Ken. I know we've gone too long. No, we haven't. Mercer, Mercer always brags about uh, how many people have been to one classic. How, do you know offhand what happens when you go to two or three or four? Do the numbers shrink drastically? The numbers absolutely <laughs> shrink drastically. But here's what's kind of weird: the average angler who has ever qualified for a classic, Charlie, Mercer you're not going to like it. for more than one. Has qualified for a little more than three. Gotcha. So, so you got you got to, you got work to do. I've only um, got two, and I got three in me this year. You watch, no doubt. But yeah, it, it, it drops, but maybe not as much as you think. Uh, it's an interesting sport, and and I've often believed that that qualifying for one classic is great, but I've often thought that qualifying for your second classic is is tougher um, because you pick up sponsors, you you get more notoriety, you're signing more autographs, you're you're dealing with more of the business aspects of the game, and. Uh, and it can take your eye off the ball a little bit. So I think sometimes the second one is a tougher, tougher one. Matt, Matt, you're always the interviewer. How's your life going? And what are your plans for this year so that you qualify for the elites? What steps are you taking in the off season to make sure you're going to kick my ass and qualify for the elites? Uh, biggest thing is I need to go into every tournament feeling prepared and I haven't done that in the past. So when you go back to back and then you're trying to do the studio and stuff, 
inevitably there's a couple derbies where you go, I'm going to figure it out when I get there. <laughs> and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And sometimes you can figure it out, but the ones that I may have made a concerted effort to in the past three years, I've noticed where I go in with a game plan, even if it doesn't work out, but the ones where you feel more prepared when you get on the water are inevitably better. And if you're going to dedicate that much, you have to do that. Let, let, okay. Ken, if, let me if ask you need any help with the shows while we're on the road. Let me know. Oh yeah. Yeah. You'll be in, I'll be in, I'll be in contact or doing some live shows, two things. Then we'll, then we'll, uh, then we'll get going one or two. So Ken, you're looking at this from a different perspective. Charlie and I currently fishing, you have fish tournaments, you know, what's going on, but do you feel like that leading the classic moment, the Holy cow, I'm in the top 10 moment, it's all worth it. The idling out. Is that a realization of hard work or is that the next shot of the addiction of the drug that, that, keeps you doing it from an outsider's perspective looking in is that <laughs> would, would a lot of guys be better off if they've never had that one moment and then they're trying to chase that high for the next 30 years or is that you see what i'm saying because there's yeah, a I lot do. of money what time and strife. Better off? What do i you mean, mean dude, better off oh, yeah, i okay. catch them in the fall i catch them in the fall i really do look it back i catch them in the fall my moments come in september and october that's a lot of sucking in january february march april may june july august where i'm going what in the hell am i doing and then you have that one moment and you're like that's a, is that the the curse or the blessing from an outsider's both. perspective both. yeah it's it's both and i would say financially it's a curse because a lot of guys who have that shot of of career adrenaline with that first classic appearance especially the guys who have a an incredible dream worthy first day like charlie or keith pochet they have a story to tell for the rest of their lives and they you can see they relish telling that story that becomes that becomes uh a crucible for them. They go through that and they have this amazing story to tell the rest of their lives. Uh, for some guys, uh, going to that first class and getting a little taste of success there is, uh, is the, the doorway to losing a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is. But, but on the whole, I'd say it's, it's obviously a positive and, uh, and, and you can't, uh, every time I'm around Charlie, every time I'm around Keith, I love talking about, their first day of a Bassmaster Classic because they light up when they tell that story. Maybe in, in, in both cases, it didn't work out quite the way they hoped, but, but they, they, and they talk, it's what's weird is they talk about it the same ways. It was surreal. I didn't, I didn't even know. I didn't even know I was leading until backstage. Somebody told me I was leading and then I, and then it hit me. And, and it's just, uh, it's just really cool to hear them talk about it. You know, I, I, and I, when you guys were talking earlier, Matt, you were talking about launching on Hartwell and you're in the top 10. And I think uh, how often can we say that we're in exactly the place on exactly the day at exactly the moment where we want to be? I think athletes have that experience more than anybody else. And, and, and professional anglers are, in that sense, athletes. You guys have had that experience. Not not a lot of people get that. So that's the drug. It's a drug. And as I like to say, the poison is the cure. I tell my co-anglers every morning when they play the Star Spangled Banner, I say, how many people are exactly where they want to be this morning? If they could be anywhere in the world, I'd be right here. And there's, there's not millions of people that get to say that as many mornings as we do. It's priceless. It's, it's a priceless uh, feeling. Yeah, I really, never take it for granted. Not, I mean, I have fished 500 per 400 and some professional tournaments, and the morning I, I couldn't stand it. I entered the Toyota at Harris because I couldn't wait till Eufaula. And that morning, I'll say I'm right where I'm supposed to be this morning. 
Even and, if it's and, snowing and, and, and the fish aren't biting, I don't care. As a media guy, I don't have that that feeling on the same level. But when I go to the Bassmaster Classic, I'm having a blast. That's the place I want to be. I'm hanging out with the people I want to hang out with. Uh, I'm seeing Charlie Hartley or Matt Pangrak. I'm seeing guys in the tournament, guys who haven't fished the tournament in decades, but I'm still loving it. But one thing I say to everybody who's qualified for his first Classic, I say the same thing to everybody. Uh, I say, don't forget to win. Because so many guys are, are just happy to be there. So I always say, hey, don't forget to win. And Matt, I used to do this at every Classic when I was working for BASS. I'd walk up to the rookies at the Classic, and I would, I would ask them, I said, well, what's, what's going to be a good Classic for you? Do, you? do you need to fish on Sunday? Do you qualify for the top 25? Do you need to be top 10? Are you happy to, just happy to be here? Nobody who did well ever told me anything other than, I am here I to win. Yeah, I'm here to win. Anything other than a win is 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 no good. George Cochran called me. Yeah, George Cochran called me the night before the my first classic, and he said, one of my peers, one of the greatest men I know, he personally called me and said, "Don't forget, there's a derby tomorrow because that classic gets your head spinning so bad you forget there's a derby in the morning." <laughs> yeah, it, it 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 can get you because it takes you out of your prep and matt as you're going to fish a classic one of these one of these days hopefully multiple classics and and you've been to enough media experiences that classic to know that whatever your routine is in preparing for a tournament the classic takes you out of it and and uh, the guys who adapt best often do the best and and i, I want to add one last story i apologize for going on about this but uh for many years i would uh see aaron martins our, our great friend aaron martins at the classic because he fished 15 of them i believe and um and he came close many times, you know, four second place finishes. And, and I used to walk up to Aaron at every classic and I'd say, who's the only guy here who can beat Aaron Martins? And Aaron would smile and say, Aaron Martins. And I think a lot of guys doesn't register with them, but it's so true. Who's the only yeah. guy who could beat Aaron Martins? It was Aaron. Yeah. Who's the only guy who can beat anybody in the field? It, it's yourself. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's really good. I don't even want to get into the other topic because, like I said, you're going to be a regular on the show. We'll get into that. Um, but I'll leave it with it is interesting at the Classic to see. Uh, it's more so than any other tournament. I think you have, yes, you have some of the the agony of defeat there. Um, in, in some of the past, you know, a lost fish that'll haunt you. But you also see a lot of people... Uh, not a lot, but you also see, I think, more in other tournaments, guys who are at peace with the fact that they didn't win the tournament because they went out, they did what they had to do, they got beat, they were in the hunt, and it just wasn't their time. And and it's interesting, you talk to a lot of those guys, and they're like, man, I, I did what I needed, what I wanted, what I thought I needed to do, and it was just someone else's time. And they're truly, uh, truly at peace with that. Would you agree with that? I'm I'm not at peace with it at all. No. <laughs> I think everybody who came up short is still second guessing himself. Um, now sometimes you don't second guess yourself. I like like when when uh, Kevin Van Dam won the 2011 Classic by 11 pounds or whatever the margin was. Polinick's first Classic. Yeah, I don't think anybody's kicking themselves on that one. Kevin just went out and put a beat down on everybody. But when you lose by, when you lose and because you didn't catch a fish one day, you, you came in one short of a limit one day. When you lose 
because we're not adjusting to the situation, not adjusting to the weather change when you think you could have made a conscious decision to make it better and you didn't. Yeah. I know Charlie has regrets about day three of that classic and how he approached it. And and I, we won't go into that, but but yeah, Charlie's a lot of these guys second guess themselves. And I don't I, I get it. I get it. All right. That's fair. Anything else you guys want to get in? I typically do a segment by myself. You guys have been fantastic guests. Charlie, Ken, I greatly appreciate it. I'm just going to leave you guys up on the screen as we exit. So parting words. Go, I have to go uh, run my SignCom production, virtual production meeting, which I postponed to 11 o'clock. And I do want to say, Ken, it's an honor to be on the show with you. Uh, anytime you want to do it again, I'd be happy to. And I'll watch all of your Big Bass podcasts. And Thank everyone so go much, fishing and have a great 2023. No matter what's going on politically, this country is still the greatest country in the world. And we can fish every day. They don't get to do that everywhere. So count your blessing. God bless America. Thanks, Charlie. Go in your meeting. I'll kick you out right now. You're six minutes late. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Charlie. Take care, All right. brother. Ken, thank you very much. Uh, Big thank Bass you, Podcast. Matt. How often are they coming out? Every Tuesday, we've got a new episode dropping, so you'll see a new one tomorrow. What's that one on? It's on the record-keeping organizations like IGFA. Oh, you mentioned Freshwater that, yeah. Hall of Fame, yeah. You're going to tick some people off in this because, I mean, you're an opinionated guy, and I think there's some some people that are hanging their hat on some things that you might, uh, I don't want to say debunk, but might cast some some a shadow of doubt over some long-held, just established things. Is that a fair tease moving forward? Matt, if we cannot afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted, I don't know what we're going to do. This has been another edition of BTL Bass Talk Live. Ked Duke, Charlie Hartley, tomorrow. Folks, if you listen to the show with Fred Kentawi, we discovered that Brett Height ran the Emodium AD boat as an FLWT <laughs> deal. I was intrigued with this. It was very hard to find that picture. It was actually in an article. I found the picture. I have since made contact with Brett Height. And Brett Height's going to be on to talk about that Emodium AD Chewables team deal tomorrow. And then Justin Lucas on Wednesday, followed by day four with the man Frank Scalish on Thursday. Ken Duke, thank you very much. I'll talk thank to you, you later. Thanks, guys. See ya.